Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. And usually when the United States is proposing a very major move that has something to do with significant risk to national security, one of the first things that happens is that Congress receives a classified briefing. And I can tell you that Congress has not received a classified briefing around the allegations of national security risks regarding TikTok. So why would we be proposing a ban regarding such a significant issue without being clued in on this at all? It just doesn't feel right to me. And additionally, this case needs to be made to the public. We are a government by the people and for the people. And if we want to make a decision as significant as banning TikTok, and we believe or someone believes that there's really important information that the public deserves to know about why such a decision would be justified, that information should be shared with the public as well. No one could be more on brand for keeping China happy then Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, she is precious because she hasn't gotten a briefing about it. There's no reason to even discuss it. Oh, of course, you shouldn't ban TikTok. There is a conversation that should be had. I have engaged it here. But there is a national security conversation clearly at play. Are you now going to be the person, Representative Ocasio-Cortez, who does not admit that China, I mean, I should say the Communist Chinese Party, via the TikTok app, has unbelievable access to a tremendous amount of not only content, but data that can be used against Americans, frozen on Americans, or content fed to Americans that is absolutely misinformation. I thought that was something you personally were bothered by. The briefing? What do you want the briefing to say? Seriously, what do you want the briefing to say And do you accept the fact that once you have the briefing, China's going to go nuts? Then again, I'm surprised they haven't gone nuts from the hearings we've had already. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today, it's good to be with you. We should be perfectly clear that we're talking about 150 million users and people who make real money utilizing TikTok. I don't say no to this. I think this was conversation number one. But is there an overriding principle here? And the answer is yes, there is. And that overriding principle is one of national security. National security does matter. And national security matters in a conversation about trust because allowing TikTok to operate means a trust in the Chinese Communist Party which cannot exist. If this was an American company, Representative Ocasio-Cortez and I would be shoulder to shoulder. But this isn't. This isn't. This is as ignorant a philosophy, thinking that China, that, that TikTok and, and, a, and a company owned by the Communist Chinese Party is all Chinese companies are owned by the Communist Chinese Party. This is the, you know something that we could just avoid or something we could just ignore. It can't be done. You literally have to be John Kerry ignorant to believe these things. Now, China is the largest deployer of solar panels in China. They have deployed far more renewable energy than we have or than Europe has. So, yes, they're behind and it's a problem. Coal is a problem. But that's why it's important. We work with China. We reach out to China. 
Uh, and that's what we're trying to do. And the president has tried very hard. Our president has tried hard to separate climate from the other issues that are real that we obviously have with China. But we can't get bogged down by that because this is a universally felt existential challenge to the planet. And it's important that the two largest economies in the world work to try to resolve it. You really think you can work with China on climate while they're doing everything else and not caring about the climate? They don't care. You cannot convince the Communist Chinese Party to care about climate and not do things in its best interest, and they believe their best interest is the domination of you. Are you really that ignorant? They have to go into separate piles? Hey, China, we don't want you polluting the atmosphere like you are, so we won't pay attention to how you enslave the Uyghur Muslims. We won't pay attention to you stealing from U.S. corporations. We won't pay attention to you feeding schlock and misinformation via TikTok to 150 million users every single day. But, you know, if you could bring down those emissions a couple percent, that'd be great. And meanwhile, we'll laud you for look how many solar panels you're pushing out there. They got people making solar panels all day. They don't have anything else to do. You got to keep these people employed. This communist government is actually cracking. The communists can't keep up. They can't keep the jobs up. They've got a massive population issue, never mind with size, but with decreasing size because the one China policy has kicked their ass. They are a country that can be brought down and they're fighting for their lives. And what is John Kerry and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez doing? giving them a lifeline giving them a lifeline yes you can keep accessing our data yes you can keep accessing our people i want access to 150 million chinese people i want to send them the data and i want to send them the content we want to send them every single day every single day i want to send them content where's my deal to do so why can't i do this no American can do this. You can't send stuff to China, but somehow China can send stuff to me. He is the former Secretary of State. He ran for president. He was a senator. She is a member of Congress. And neither one of them understand how serious this issue is. And this issue is serious. And there are people who are going to lose a lot of money. I, I, I don't know what to say to them. I don't know what to say because even I have been very moved by this idea that it's not enough to sell the company. The algorithm still belongs to China and you can't trust it. Now, maybe someone knows more than I do about how to bust that, change that, maneuver that, uh, ensure some safety and stability and security. Maybe, 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 maybe. I would like that very much but she didn't get a briefing, so therefore it doesn't seem right. It doesn't seem right. China has a direct access to your kid. It doesn't seem right that we stop that. Perfectly on brand for Representative Ocasio-Cortez. Just dead on perfect. Keep it here. This is Tony Katz today. Just so we're all perfectly clear, you did not have this final four in your bracket. No, you didn't. No, you didn't. This is not the final four that you predicted. You did not predict San Diego State and FAU. You did not predict Miami and UConn. No, you didn't. This is insane.
And by far, based on every account, and this is anecdotally speaking, no one has seen a tournament like this in maybe ever. Tony Katz, good to be with you. JMV joins us from 93.5-1075, the fan. He is the voice of sports in Indiana. San Diego State, FAU, Miami, UConn, both playing on April Fool's. That's what it feels like, man. Um, this was an insane Sweet 16 and Elite 8. Your Gonzaga Bulldogs out of the picture. That's who you picked to win it all. Uh, there is no number one seed left. What the hell's happening here? Well, I mean, there's a lot of just guard play that obviously caught up. You see teams with tremendous guard play, Tony reach this point right now. That's been kind of an evolution of this tournament for a long period of time. And, you know, some people are saying, I don't know if I completely buy it yet, but I, I think I think one is probably more so than the other, but I think you can make an argument for both. I think you do see NIL, uh, name, image, likeness, uh, setting in. Um, Nigel Pack, for example, with Miami, was a guy from Indianapolis, Lawrence Central, that was a part of that from Kansas State, that transfer, and he went to Miami. And, and obviously he's helped them out a great deal without question. Um, and also, Tony, you get the extra years because of the COVID year when you know the NCAA gave everybody an extra year because of that. And you see a lot of older hanging around still, players in the mix here and i think both of those things maybe not a major deal with what we're seeing but certainly an influence in what we have seen in this wild wild west type of final four but i don't know about you i really enjoy it i don't have to see a one and a two seed you know in the final four those lines in the final four i kind of think this has been refreshing to a lot of folks out there now if your bracket is busted that's one thing you're probably not liking that but, you know, seeing Florida Atlantic, and especially with the uh, personal connection I have with Dusty May, the head coach, that makes it extra special for me. But this has been as an enjoyable, I think, NCAA tournament, even if your team is ousted, even if your bracket is busted, than we've seen in a long time. Now, you, you talk about uh, uh, FAU and you talk about the Hoosier connection there. Uh, beating Kansas State. Uh, as they did to go to this Final Four. What's more improbable, FAU and how they've come through this, or San Diego State, who had to beat Alabama and Creighton to be here? Uh, you know what? They're both pretty even on this, too. I think it's probably Florida Atlantic, uh, just because of the odd route that they've taken and the fact that really nobody, Tony, out of Conference USA, knows too much about them. They're an evolving team, and here's why. They're moving to the American Athletic coming up next year, that team from Boca Raton, Florida. Um, and people thought that they were going to have a good team. And I know Dusty May, again, good friend of mine, we talk all the time about this team. And he had told me going back to December that he had something special working here, and it just kind of step-by-step got better and better. And you know, make no mistake about it, too. Purdue getting ousted in Columbus in the first round by Fairleigh Dickinson – I mean, did that help them out? Probably. Yeah, that's a one C that they would have had to have taken on uh, instead of getting fairly Dickinson. But it has still been an impressive path they have taken. Memphis and Penny Hardaway in round number one, that was a huge challenge. You look at Tennessee in the Sweet 16, a red-hot Kansas State team, Tony. As you had mentioned, they had to take them down. But you look at FAU, and you're not going to find any better guard play. And Dusty sends them in in waves. It's kind of like NHL or hockey. It's like a line change. 
He'll have five, and he'll bring in four off the bench. He plays about ten deep. These guys all are really connected, really kind of pull for one another. And here's the one aspect of his team that you rarely see in basketball any longer is the fact that he coaches them up, but he also leaves it to them because these guys are as good – and relatable to one another team-wise, as you're going to see in a team. That's the one thing that stands out to me. There's not one huge star. They're all really important pieces that play connected and relatable together. And it's really fun to watch, and you've really seen it evolve in this tournament, Tony. Talking to JMV from 93.5107.5, the fan, the voice of sports in Indiana. You know, uh, I consider Fairleigh Dickinson beating Purdue the 16 seed being the one seed as the biggest beat of this tournament, or I did until UConn punched your Gonzaga Bulldogs in the face repeatedly, winning by almost 30 points, 82 to 54 in the Elite Eight to get to the Final Four. Dude, that was brutal. Yeah, it was. Here's the thing about UConn right now, Tony, that we have seen so far is they can play with Danny Hurley's team any way that you need to play. They can play big. Sonogo down low can play big. They can play up and down and shoot the threes. That is as versatile a team, certainly that you have left, but as versatile a team that we've seen in this NCAA tournament. And they are, to me, the overwhelming favorite going in. They just thought, I mean, don't get me wrong, I mean, Miami playing incredibly well, but they are the overwhelming favorite just because of the way that they play. They can come at you any way that you need them to come at you. What they did to Gonzaga, really both ways. I mean, it kind of started out down low, and then they really took off knocking down shots. And as you and I had talked about, you know, Gonzaga's deal is is on guard play, and and there was no real connection to why they took a beating as, as much as they did. I mean, Jimmy got into foul trouble early in the second half. That really wasn't going to matter because UConn was going to roll them up anyway. UConn is just playing that well. They are that deep right now, and they're that versatile of a team. So going into Houston this weekend, they are, to me, the overwhelming favorite to bring it home. Now, nobody has had a tougher road, in my view, getting to this uh, Final Four than Miami, right? First round, it's Drake, but then they beat uh, IU. It's it's a school not too far from here, uh, JMB. Maybe you've heard of it before. And then Houston, the number one seed, and then Texas, the number two seed, their road has been nuts. Um, it, it, and the women are doing well. I think I think they've also advanced. What's in the water there in Miami? Well, I mean, really, the men's side of things is this. Uh, they they just are good. Jim Laranega is a great coach. Um, had taken another team, that's George Mason, going back here years ago, um, certainly to a, a Final Four. But you, you, you think about it from this standpoint of um, – when, when you look at Miami, it is about guard play. And I mentioned Nigel Pack from Lawrence Central, who has been outstanding in this tournament, was outstanding at Kansas State before he transferred. A lot of people thought, Tony, by the way, he was going to go to Purdue. That would have probably helped Purdue out a great deal when you think about it, considering what right. they needed. But Miami, to me, was impressive yesterday because of what they did coming back. They got down 13 in the second half, stayed together. And they got back, Tony, in that game and then won that game yesterday in the second half against Texas in a very unconventional fashion. 
if you watched what they did, it wasn't threes. They didn't get back into that. They didn't win that with threes in the second half. There was nothing rushed. They were just kind of calm and got back in it with the two. Played their game, played the game that Jim Laranega had coached up. That's, to me, what was more impressive than anything else is how they came back against a Texas team when they were down 13 that was red hot but came back with twos and played a very team game. I think that's what you notice overall, Tony, with this Final Four is this is really team-oriented. You have good players, yes, but there may not be that individual incredible star out there. These teams have gotten there by playing team basketball. That might be the most impressive aspect that we see going into Saturday's national semifinals. Uh, Before I let you go, JMV, sounds like you had a rough night. It sounds like you're a guy who was screaming at a television or maybe screaming at a wall. Which one was it? No, no, that wasn't. Um, for some reason, so I do a music show on Saturday night, all request music show, and I started to lose my voice for some reason. It was really weird, um, and I'm kind of dealing with that right now. I don't know what happened. It's, I'm not sick. I feel great, but I've lost my voice a little bit. So Yeah, um, so you I, know what? Uh, I hope I didn't mess up your show. With, no, 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 too much Hall & Oates will do that for you. <laughs> you might. It probably is very much too much Hall & Oates, but I, yeah, I don't know. I'm not sick. I feel great, but my voice is my voice is a little lost right now. I've got to find it. There's nothing worse in the world to do radio when you've lost your voice because you feel it and everything in you. When my voice is is giving me a little bit of issue, like it kind of is right now, because I was in I was in Nashville over over the weekend. I'll get into that whole uh, conversation with you. I I, I promise because because we're we're making a mistake. Uh, here in Indiana, we're making a mistake, and it's correctable. And I'll get into what that is in a second. But when you're on this side of the mic and, and you lose your voice, not only are you trying to push it through and have that same, you know, the same, was it timber of your voice, tenor of your voice, whatever, or whatever that thing is. You, you just know it when it's right, the modulation and, and, and how, it, how it glides right out. And then you, you like to get that, then you're changing your breathing and it just, it wipes you clean. It wipes you absolutely clean. Now, don't get me wrong. It's not like real work. You didn't lift anything heavy. I'm always aware that as a radio host, I'm not lifting anything heavy. But it's not it's not easy. And, and and when you're when you're no matter what you are, when you have to focus on your breathing and focus on your speech as opposed to just letting it roll, it it does. It exhausts. And it's and I don't know, you get in your head. I don't know I don't know about other people. I do. Oh yeah. Oh, I hate it. I hate when my voice is gone. And it, it has never happened so much as living in Indiana because of the allergies and everything else. Happens like twice a year now. It's like, dang, this is, a, this, this is an occupational hazard. I should be living in a bubble. I mean, it's not enough that I work from home. Now I need a bubble inside the home to work from to be all safe. But man, I'll tell you what, this, this whole tournament has been stunning. Absolutely stunning to watch. NCAA should be overjoyed. Not having all the number ones there, having uh, the the level of of dynamic play, having the 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 upsets, the beats, people like what in the world? It's cool. 
It is, and now I would, I would have liked to have seen, I would have liked to have seen Purdue actually do something in the tournament, as opposed to go out in the first round. How incredibly embarrassing it is for them. I, I don't want to embarrass them too much. If you're on the team, you're feeling it worse than I am. Let's be serious. I, I'm just saying, I would have liked to have seen it. Maybe just number one, number one in that final four. So then it's, it's like this climb, and you've got the the the, the top teams, and you got the underdog teams. Just the dynamics of it. But it's been terrific. It has been great. Great to watch. And again, my thanks to JMV for being part of the show. More is coming up. Keep it here. I'm Tony Katz, and this is Tony Katz Today. Now, we are watching in real time what's happening with the banks uh, across America. We're watching in real time how clearly the federal government engaged a bailout of Silicon Valley Bank. We watched it happen. We watched it take place. But were we really prepared to have Janet Yellen, the Treasury Secretary, admit to us that all the banks are the same or all the banks are equal, but some are more equal than others? Will the deposits in every community bank in Oklahoma, regardless of their size, be fully insured now? Are they fully recovered Every bank, every community bank in Oklahoma, regardless of the size of the deposit, will they get the same treatment that SVBP just got or Signature Bank just got? A bank only gets that treatment if a majority of the FDIC board, a supermajority, a supermajority of the Fed board, and I, in consultation with the president, determine that the failure to protect uninsured depositors would create systemic risk and significant economic and financial consequences. So what is and your plan? that determination. Right. right. So, so what is your banks. plan to keep large depositors from moving their funds out of community banks into the big banks? We have seen the mergers of banks over the past decade I'm concerned you're about to accelerate that by encouraging anyone who has a large deposit in a community bank to say, we're not going to make you whole, but if you go to one of our preferred banks, we will make you whole at that point. Um, look, I mean, we're, that's certainly not something that we're encouraging. That has happened. Thank goodness she's not encouraging it because she's not holding up a sign and saying, go do this. She's not encouraging it. She's very much encouraging the thing. Guys, good to be with you. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. Let me bring in Dr. Matt Will, economist at the University of Indianapolis. Um, uh, can I share a, 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 a part of a uh, text that you sent me that you said that I could, uh, could share? I'm not going to show the text, but you sent me that clip. Yes. You sent me that clip uh, over the weekend via text, and all I responded with was, Janet Yellen's a mess. Excellent questions from, from Senator Lankford there of, of Oklahoma, but isn't this stating, uh, sir, uh, an economist as you are, to, to economists, to banks, to investors, to everybody, that there are some banks that simply aren't going to be taken care of, and you better be with the right bank before it's too late? Tony, that's 100% what is being said here. She is causing the contagion. She is causing the systematic risk that she says she's trying to avoid, Tony, because she's saying 
to the big depositors in the big banks, we will protect you. But if you're in a local bank, we won't protect you. Tony, this is insane. In what world do we say this? And then you know what's going to happen. I mean, we all know what's going to happen. That, that either people will leave the small banks and they will go to the big banks because they feel that's the only place they're safe. And the local banks will be left with high risk because the high risk depositors, Tony, the high risk depositors were made whole at SVB. The high risk crypto venture capital depositors were made whole. So they've got all their cash. And where are they going to go? Who's going to offer them a high rate? Who's desperate for their deposits, Tony? The regional banks are desperate for their deposits and are going to pay them to get those deposits because Janet Yellen has caused them to lose their depositor base. Now, let's take a, a, a step back by maybe looking at just what's happened today, where you see a group called First Citizens Bank picking up a massive chunk of Silicon Valley Bank. That was the bank that, of course, uh, went under where people were bailed out who... And, and we use the term bailout because, honestly... I don't know how it isn't considered a bailout by some. Uh, bailed out people who uh, were risky investors, got their money back. And it seems to me that this First Citizens Group, $75 billion worth of banking, they picked up for $16 billion. I'm no expert, sir, but I consider that to be a pretty good deal if I can get it. Exactly how good of a sweetheart deal did First Citizens get? Or is this just standard practice? No, it's not standard practice, Tony. They're picking up billion, $56 billion in deposits, $56 billion in deposits and $72 billion in loans at a discount price of $16 billion, Tony. $16 billion. You and I are paying for that. You and I are the ones that are subsidizing that purchase that First Citizens got. You and I are paying for that. And it's mostly being paid by the regional banks the small regional banks, the mom and pop depositors through higher fees that have already been assessed, Tony, you're paying for this acquisition, this bailout of Silicon Valley venture capital crypto bank subsidized by you, the taxpayer. Thank you, Janet Yellen. Now, sh sh go through, sir, talking to Dr. Matt Will, economist at the University of Indianapolis. Talk to me about how we are the ones who pay for it. Is it just a straight tax uh, conversation? Your tax dollars here, now it's going to go to these people. Thank you very much. Or is there something else that we should be expecting down the road? That Again, with our tax dollars, that means we're paying for it. How does it actually get paid for? The, the FDIC pool of money, Tony, is what's paying for this. And SVB took between 10 and 15%. The Wall Street Journal says 10%. My math is 15%. 15% of the entire FDIC insurance pool, poof, gone for one bank. So how did you pay for it, you ask? You paid for it because it is assessed, and it says this in the FDIC documents, the community banks are assessed a fee to replenish the pool. So your bank, Tony, down the street here, they are being assessed a fee in order to replenish that insurance pool. But here's how they're doing it, Tony. How much are you and I getting on a CD right now? Less than 1%. Non-retail customers of the big banks are getting 5%. So you and I are getting less money. You hear all this 5% treasuries, 4 5% CDs. Where is it, Tony? Ask anybody with a less than 250K deposit. Are you getting 5% on your CDs? The answer is no. Wait, 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 whoa, whoa. You're making an argument that retail customers 
are getting far less as a return on their CD than what non-retail customers are getting. Is that a conversation? Because one could argue, well, if they're investing more money and putting more money in the bank, they could be getting a better return. Tony, it is a fact that that's what's happening. And I sent you two screenshots. And I'm okay if we tell people about it because one of them is a screenshot from Fifth Third's bank. For retail customers in Indiana, you and I, we cannot get more than 1%. Then you saw a screenshot for non-retail commercial customers who they're offering 5.05% on a CD today. Today, Tony, the retail, mom and pop are getting less than one. The big dogs that the FDIC is, is taking care of and Janet Yellen's taking care of are getting over 5%. That's how we're paying for it, Tony. We're paying for it because we're not getting any money out of the bank. So those people who are the large-scale investors are still getting paid, and we're paying for it by not giving us, a smaller-scale investor, less than 250000 as as you would describe it just in this conversation. It's by not giving us a return, but, well, if we're not getting a return, why the hell would we put our money in the bank to begin with? That's the whole point, Tony. She wants you to take your money out of the community bank and put it into the big, the big giant national banks. That's what she's incentivizing. She said so in that Senate testimony. We saw it clear as day. But, Tony, it's worse because the person who goes into the, the Fifth Third Bank and gets 5%, this massive investor, why do they have the money to invest in Fifth Third? Because they just got bailed out of SVB. Tony, you're, you're paying coming and going as the taxpayer in this situation. You bail them out of SVB, and now you're subsidizing them to get a higher rate at a local bank because a local bank is desperate for depositors. Why? Because Janet Yellen pushed them away. Okay. Let's take a moment as I'm trying to get this downloaded for everybody uh, to see. I'm going to get it up in a second. Talking to Dr. Matt Will, economist at the University of Indianapolis. Let's go over this again just to make sure I'm, I'm following every which way. You are an investor or you are a depositor at some local bank. Your argument is that those people aren't going to get any any return at a local bank. But if they were to go to a larger scale bank, a Chase, for example, there they'll get the return. I, Tony, I haven't looked at the Chase website and looked at their returns. I cannot tell you that for a fact because I haven't looked that data up. But yes, the, the Yes, the fact is that you would get a better return at a larger national bank, but it's safer. That's more important. Forget about the return, Tony. If you're a small you know, depositor, you have $200,000, $100,000. Are you going to take a risk of losing that money? No, you're going to go to a, go to a larger bank because there you're going to be safe. When Janet Yellen says to... Uh, Senator Langford, as she did, I mean, you, you saw it with your own eyes, you heard it with your own ears, that not every bank gets bailed out. Only banks that could lead to some level of systemic risk. You know, I use the animal farm line, but she really is saying we decide whether or not the bank is worth it. So when you as an economist hear that, when the markets hear that, what is that response? My response is she's creating the systematic risk, Tony. You keep saying very well that we're privatizing profits and socializing losses. That's exactly what is happening here. Janet Yellen is saying that if you go to a regional bank, you may lose your money. If you go stay in a big bank, you're going to keep it. That is a statement of creating contagion. She is causing a run on local banks when she says that. 
Why doesn't she say, well, we will guarantee all retail deposits regardless of the size, regardless of the bank? Tony, SVP, 94%, 94% of their deposits were non-retail. I don't know what the local banks are, but it's substantially, substantially lower than that. You know, I, I, ha I have some people commenting, and here's a comment. My credit union is paying 4% on high-yield savings. That's pretty good. How do you, I mean, is this what we're talking about? No, that, that is actually a good case, Tony. That's a good example. Yes, a credit union separate than a bank is, is paying a little a better rate. See, th that's my point, Tony. You can shop around and find better deals. Credit unions are in a different game. They're not in the same high-risk category as she has put regional banks into. So, yes, you look at the Fifth Third website, you're getting less than 1%. This, this credit union is paying 4 so the answer to your earlier question, yes, you can get better rates somewhere else. So what are you going to do with your money? You're going to move it. Why isn't, but now let's dig deeper. Why isn't the regional bank giving a, a, a better rate? They've been, you know, it's, it's one thing to say that Janet Yellen, the Treasury Secretary, is trying to incentivize people to go to, to a larger bank because she's claiming that's where your money will be protected. It doesn't answer the question is why the regional bank isn't paying more. Well, it is, it is, Tony. Let me explain how that works. It is, they've lost depositors. And so now they need deposits back in their bank and they're desperate. They can go, you know, offer you a free toaster, you know, to get one, you know, a few hundred dollars, a few thousand dollars here and there, or they can go to some multi-million dollar non-retail depositor and say, hey, you can solve my problem in one fell swoop. Here's 5%. And that's what they're doing. I got to tell you, that that creates a tremendous amount of, of, of confusion. It, 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 you're, you're now making the argument that the, the, the banks themselves don't want someone like me or you as a client? No, no, no. It's that it's, it's harder to get us. So let me back up a little bit. If they have a huge outflow of depositors, they need to replace those depositors. How do they do that? It's very difficult to keep getting a lot of small depositors to make up that ground. They can find one person, a multi-million dollar or billion dollar depositor to catch up all in one swoop. And that's what they're doing. They're offering a bigger carrot to that person who brings a lot of money all at once. So that leads us to talking to Dr. Matt Will, economist at the University of Indianapolis, as to whether or not these regional players are in a safe place anyway. You know, we started this conversation a couple weeks ago based on the conversations and based on my own investigation. I didn't feel that banks were in a, a bad spot. I didn't think they were in a dangerous spot. Last week, I started asking some serious questions. Based on this Janet Yellen conversation, now how you're explaining it, that would signal to me that there are a fair amount or at least some amount of regional players that have discovered they've got too much going out to depositors and not enough coming in. They're in an unsustainable uh, position. And then you have the chairman of the, of the uh, Minneapolis Federal Reserve discussing how the stress tests can start leading its way towards recession. So do you think that there are regional players, regional banks that are about to feel a crunch and are going to have to be purchased by somebody else? And do you believe that all this banking conversation leads us to recession where I actually thought we were anyway? You know, Tony, I'll say it. I said it last week and I'll say it again today. You are very much on top of it. You 100 percent hit the nail on the head when you said last week it went from good to feeling a little bad. And just now you made the statement, are there some regional banks? And the answer is yes. That is exactly the right way to phrase it. 
there are some regional banks that are at risk right now. And we know that because some of them are a little bit more aggressive like SVB was, and some of them are very safe. Uh, I mentioned that last week, the Argus research report that showed some of the local banks like Huntington and Old National are very safe. They don't have that same interest rate risk that other banks have. Um, I'm not saying because, you know, this is for public display. I'm not saying that Fifth Third has a risk. I'm not saying that I haven't done the analysis, but the difference between their CD rates causes me concern. Dr. Matt Will, economist at the University of Indianapolis. I appreciate you taking the time to be with us. We're going to keep our eyes on this. Uh, just in, in, in one second, though, uh, did Janet Yellen create more of a problem with her statement to Senator Langford, yes or no? Yes. Dr. Matt Will, economist, University of Indianapolis. I appreciate you, as always, taking uh, the time, and uh, we're keeping our eyes on it. We are keeping our eyes on it. Keep it here. I'm Tony Katz. This is Tony Katz today. You know, you really can never have too many hot takes from Representative Ocasio-Cortez. Many of these disgusting and insinuating attacks on trans and LGBT people are actually projections of what predatory cisgender and often straight men do when left alone in the presence of women or sometimes horribly children. You see... You see, if you question whether or not children should be allowed to change their gender, which, of course, they can't do, but whether or not they should be allowed to have mutilating surgeries or take uh, hormones or other medicines that absolutely change their physiology, you're just a predator yourself, but just a predator in waiting or in disguise. You don't even know you're a real predator. My gosh. That's just... I Did I mention right on brand... Perfectly on brand. Should I also notice that she says transgender and LGBT people? Does she think that the transgender, the T, doesn't mean anything? And does she think that everybody who's gay agrees with her on children being abused? Of course not. But she doesn't care. Just say woke things. So instead of getting you to challenge the patriarchy, they're trying to get you to challenge the very gender expressiveness that challenges patriarchy. No, we want you to respect women, and we don't know why you don't do it. Children, too. I'm Tony Katz. Tomorrow, everyone, take care.